Hello and welcome to Casting the Runes. I'm Jonathan Hatful. I'm Sarah Dobbs. And I'm Catherine McLaughlin. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Nia Edwards-Behe of the Abattoir Film Festival about The Wailing. But first, we're going to discuss Winchester, the new film by the Spearig Brothers, which has just come out. And it's really disappointing. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a film that should have... I, I was describing the plot to someone on Twitter and they said, that sounds great. And it really does sound great. There's no reason why it should be so lifeless and empty and boring and repetitive and just nothing. Because the, the, the plot of the film is that um, it's based on the true story. I did little quotation marks, even though this is a podcast and no one will be. But it is a, it's a true story. It's a real house. It's uh, the story of Sarah Winchester, who was the widow of the person who invented the Winchester rifle, who made huge amounts of money and for various uh, spirit medium related reasons started building a house that she'd never stopped building and there's constant construction going on around the clock because she believed that there were spirits who were trying to contact her and perhaps do her harm so she needed to keep building this house Uh, and it's a house that makes no sense it's an insane house there are staircases that go nowhere um, and rooms are constantly being built and torn down and new ones built Uh, and in the film, Jason Clark plays a psychiatrist called Eric Price, who's sent by the Winchester Corporation to the Winchester Mansion to see if he can evaluate Sarah Winchester's mental state, to see if he, they can get her removed as from from her position on, in the company. And uh, Eric shows up and meets Sarah Winchester, who's played by Helen Mirren, and quickly discovers that her views about supernatural are based in fact. But it's all just so. I mean, given yeah, it is lame, and it's 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 it should be like a great haunted house, like uh, as as a building, and there's so much potential to do so many different things with the story, and it just it just just does 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 a thing. That's how I, that that frustration in your voice is exactly how I feel. Like it just doesn't do anything. Like like you say, the house itself should be super spooky and like elaborate because there's all these staircases. Like there is one um, really cool staircase that's supposedly designed because she's got arthritis and can't go up big steps. But as soon as you see it, you're like, that's gonna be spooky. <laughs> and then they do use it for a scare, but it's it's not that good. Doesn't yeah, given the setup, it's like. Oh, so, yeah, so. and that's one of like very few kind of architectural features that actually play in. Like, there's a bit where what looks like a wardrobe turns out to be a door, and I'm sure they use that about six times. And it's mm. like, <laughs> all you're doing here is giving me spooky wardrobe. Like, I can get that from any horror film. I think my my least favorite favorite bit was <laughs> when she like they kept going on about number thirteen. And Helen Mirren comes through the like cupboard and just starts like touching books and like counting to thirteen and going yes yes and I'm like you've done this ten times. Oh, uh, <laughs> my favourite terrible bit was it, the, how often you see someone sawing wood but not sawing wood. There's the same shot of someone sawing through a bit of wood and there's no sawing and it's the same thing. But it's, he's never going to saw through it. It's never going to finish. Uh, Maybe it's a metaphor for the film. Was that Angus Sampson pretending to saw wood? I didn't, you didn't even see the face of the person doing it. It was just a shot oh. of a saw, like, rubbing a bit of wood, just, like, just to remind <laughs> you of the construction. And it's just... It's oh. such a clumsy film. When it first, like, the film first started, obviously you're sitting back, you're giving it its room to mm. breathe, and you're seeing what it's doing. 
But the, it, even like from the very beginning, those jump scares was just like recycled from other <laughs> Oh, the mirror scare with the. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, the fucking mirror scare! Yeah. Like I actually laughed. Like it was just like I feel terrible, but like it was so stupid and like just obvious, and it kept turning itself back, and it was just like, oh, that whole thing where um, there's a subplot where he's basically uh, off his face on Laudanum the whole time. Yeah. Um and then Helen Mirren's like, No, stop that. I'm taking that off you. And then that's just fine. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, there's fine. no withdrawal at all. No, no withdrawal. It's like it would have been almost in- I mean, I hate it, but it almost would have been interesting if he'd been on that the whole time so that he's completely unreliable and you don't know whether mm. there is a ghost or not. Um I I know I hate that as a trope, but I feel like that's at least what they were setting up there. But then he just stops mm. taking it and he's fine. Well, because he's constantly talking to himself throughout the film. That's one thing that really annoyed me. It's a, it's a <laughs> film where everyone, people, there's there's too many characters that they keep getting split up and being by themselves. So they keep talking to themselves. So he keeps going on about it. It's a lord and them. It's a lord and uh, <laughs> or he just mutters to himself about where he's where he is. Uh, just it's, uh. it was really tacky as well. The conclusion was tacky. God. Well, like, (laughs) like embarrassingly. Yeah, I mean, if we get into real spoiler territory, it was really stupid and obvious and like real sort of bottom of the barrel horror. But also, I feel Mm. like kind of slightly irresponsible given um, the number of like actual gun-related deaths in America and like. Yeah. It it had that real thing of like. Like, you know how The Conjuring feels like they are uh, making out that the Warrens are lovely people who never did anything wrong and actually just helped people and weren't liars in any way. It kind of had the ring of that about it, where it was like, mm. oh, poor Sarah Winchester, like, she was so haunted by these people and she didn't deserve it. And then you're like, yeah, but maybe there's something... It's not quite as clear-cut as that, but like maybe there is something you could dig into here about how she's super mega rich to the point where she can employ people to build rooms in her house and tear them down again because she's a, a arms dealer. Yeah. Like, like maybe maybe you would have been better off with all the angry spirits if you'd actually put that money to good use. Yeah, it, it, she was all like she it positioned her as as the heroine completely. Yeah. And so cuz she she knows how to make it all stop. Mm. Um, yeah, so it would have been definitely more interesting if if she had been like a crazy old lady, or or at least a crazy old lady who was haunted. But like because it's Helen Mirren, she, like they give her like an imperious uh, commanding stuff to do. So which means Jason Clark is sort of I couldn't get a handle on his character at all. Really, it wasn't clear how much of an arsehole he was supposed to be. <laughs> it, you're right. It wasn't. No, he's like he's quite. He can be quite interesting when he's given weirder stuff to do, but he's kind of they kind of leave him halfway weird and halfway sort of leading man, and it's a bit yeah, it's really odd because you're introduced to him and he's got like four prostitutes or something in his house. Yes, and he's like off his face on laudanum, and then we're like, oh no, it's fine. He's just grieving for his dead wife, and it's really sad, and he's like a perfect (laughs) angel. And you're like, wait, what? Like. Hold up. Give him some. Give him layers. Sure. Give him different facets to his personality. But that was just like disjointed. Like, just forget that that scene never happened because it has no bearing on anything. <laughs> well, the reason I didn't. I mean, the reason I didn't go with the full one star on this <laughs> was because I did really enjoy the casting of uh, 
Eamon Farron. I just think he's got the best cheekbones. He does. He, yeah, he, he was very good. But that's a, he was good. That's another thing that I thought was weird is that the baddie in it, they're like, um, this is such a strong spirit. I've never known such a strong. It kind of went full fucking insidious. Like this is the yeah. strongest, darkest, evilest spirit ever. And then the way they explain him is like, yeah, sure, he's a baddie, but like you've made him too sympathetic. So I don't even understand what's going on here. I know. Yeah, he loves his brothers. We <laughs> <sighs> yeah. just spoiled the whole we film. We did spoil the whole Well, But actually, they spoiled the film themselves <laughs> because, like, it's so obvious when, like, like a ghostly face shows up who it yeah. is mm-hmm. because he's so striking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the thing that I couldn't stop thinking about while I was watching it is, like, the first five minutes of Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, 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 pow, pow, pow. <laughs> it just yeah. didn't stop. It was literally like that bit with the tour guide at the beginning of Ghostbusters 2016. Obviously, the only Ghostbusters there is. But, like, yeah, well, they're in a, in a weird haunted mansion and then a ghost comes and it's all just really hokey and, like... Uh, I just... I don't... I don't understand. I mean, this is a bad film. It is a bad it's film, like, and I don't right. understand how yeah. it's such a bad film because, like, there's so much talent involved. How the fuck did it go so wrong? And there's no atmosphere mm-hmm. to it at all. There's no, given how weird the house should be, it feels like it didn't use it at all. And there's no, there like there are shots of long dark corridors, and like there are things that should be creepy, like the bit where all the doors open. Yeah. Uh, and people wandering around at night. I think like there were like one or two sort of bits with the fake staircase that work quite well. Not the fake staircase, but the staircase that goes nowhere that worked okay. Mm. But it just it was there was no yeah no no atmosphere, no sense of like chilliness or anything. Uh, they just didn't use it because they had that thing with the um, the speaking pipes where they're, all the rooms are connected and you can speak to people in different rooms through them, and you're mm. like. Well, the reason for doing that is to have like voices come from empty rooms or have somebody in a room and they can hear a voice and they don't know where the person is or like have somebody trapped in a room and they can communicate through like you know do something with it if you've built this thing in and all they do is at one point a fucking ghost finger comes out of the pipe and that doesn't make yeah the pipe man finger comes out I don't I don't um, get it and like I was kind of scanning the credits going like who has broken this film i think they have to put the blame for this on uh tom vaughan who i don't know who he is but he's the writer and then both the spearigs are credited with rewrites so i don't know whether that's something's gone like wrong there they took the projects on and just wrote it again did they i don't know maybe they did but if they did they didn't do a good enough job i just like the actual real story is so weird and creepy like i can see how it would be Mm. totally irresistible if you're a horror director like there is this amazing elaborate house full of dead ends and creepy rooms and a woman who thinks there's ghosts and like how how could you not go yeah put ghosts in it and that's an awesome haunted house movie but it's just not (laughs) (laughs) it really isn't i think that's like yeah you keep wanting to figure it out mm. like it's a puzzle like how yeah later like who who broke it <laughs> who at what point did this go from being a great project to a terrible one and it seems like sarah snook is in it and she's in, like an amazing actress but her character is nothing as well oh, it's yeah. the same sort of thing that like she's introduced and they they can mention like the, the traumatic death of uh, her husband and the, the dad of her son henry 
But that just doesn't really go anywhere either. It doesn't either. figure in at all. Mm. And like, she has about five lines and just has to look scared a bit. Like, I don't understand why they would catch yeah. her for that part. Like, you don't need her. She's great. You could just have anyone. You could just have a, like, doll in that part. It's nothing. Hmm. And Helen Mirren's not good in it either. She's not terrible, but she's just, like, there. She is quite terrible. There's one scene where she's got a veil on in the attic and is being all, like, spooky and it's just like oh oh she's looking up at the ceiling with her mouth open doing the sort of like i'm spirit yeah. Okay, yeah that was quite bad so i feel like the spirit brothers are like really smart people mm-hmm. who mm. are good at writing scripts that you know they have a lot so with the predestination obviously it had a lot of stuff to get through and interesting ideas um and it all kind of came together and in this, it feels like they tried to do that, but they just didn't know what to do with it. Um, I think they don't really know what to do with actors. Oh, just going to say it. Everyone, like, was not good <laughs> in this film. But I do feel like, I, yeah, I agree that no one was good, and that's obviously, a, like, on them to a, a big extent. Because I think the acting in Predestination is really good. Yeah. And Jigsaw to some extent as well, actually. But yeah, they talked about Jigsaw as like a, a, a job for hire for them. Like they, they were, I think they've been quite clear about like we came on and did it. Um, and this seems like it. They've been attached to it for a lot longer. I think it's been a good few years. But if the actors are given a good script, like in Predestination, right. yeah, yeah, you know, it kind of you can kind of work with it. If they're giving something like this, <laughs> and like. I just don't, I don't know. That's a shame, yeah. yeah. Also, mm. Predestination is based on a story by uh, Heinlein, is it? So it's not original yeah. material. Yeah. And Jigsaw, I guess, has pretty rigid existing material to base it yeah. on. Yeah. Mm. And with this, I yeah. guess there just wasn't a story there. So, like, the premise is there is that there's this woman who's mm. building this house, but that isn't a story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really a narrative. Yeah. And I, I think they needed to find it, and they didn't. So that worries me about them slightly like maybe you're not as great at writing as I thought you were yeah that's yeah Jason Clark just shows up and then the film happens (laughs) there's just endless sort of I'm gonna go for another night walk (laughs) yeah I've been told to stay in my room but I'm just gonna go for a wander down this he loves a wander but for no yeah for no plot reason apart from just he needs to see more ghosts yeah, because uh, like, he could have explored in the daytime. Uh, <laughs> he really could have done. Oh, I don't know. And he just wants to see the garden room. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, yeah, no you're the right. There's no, there is no story. And the beautiful Dreamer song just felt like I was, again, watching Insidious mm. where they put on the creepy music. Let's have, yeah, let's have a child sing something. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So creepy, creepy child. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so much wrong about it. I'm trying to, like, pinpoint yeah. stuff, though. I'm trying to work it out myself. I just feel like it's just a series of missed opportunities. Yeah, because it, it does feel like there's like, you could do like a straight biopic of Sarah Winchester mm-hmm. and not treat it like a horror film. You could do a much better horror film. Yeah. Or you could do something really odd with it. And I think that's uh, there's a book called The Vore by B. Catling that's completely mad and all over the place in a really great way. But there's a little bit where one of the characters... Um, is he's a like a photographer and then sent to the Winchester house because Sarah Winchester wants to try to photograph the ghosts. I kind of remembered that halfway through. I was like, you could do like a, anything really strange and eccentric with this. Yeah, mm. a thing that I no. kind of want to see, and I already tweeted this, so 
uh, yeah. Um, no, but uh, I was looking at Wikipedia after I watched the film and I saw that um, Houdini went to the house in like 1920 something. And yeah. I was like, well, hang on, that there's a story there. <laughs> that's a story. Like, I mean, again, it, it isn't a story. It's just, an, it's a it's a premise. But like, you could probably write something really interesting there because he really desperately wanted to believe in ghosts, but never saw any proof of them and got quite angry about that. So like, he's like an awesome skeptic character to have in that house. Like there's definitely something that you could do with that. I want to watch that movie. <laughs> Not this one. I think it's just, yeah, it's, it was just so disappointing because you do feel like it's a missed opportunity. Mm. It is kind of like, obviously the the gun control element is a huge part of it. So you couldn't really do it without no. so much to hating guns. Uh, but then I think, yeah, Kat, you mentioned this in, in your review that the resolution <laughs> to the whole story involves a gun. Yeah. So it's sort of like... I think I called it the nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Nonsense. <laughs> and it's just like this whole thing that you spent 90 minutes building up. It's sort of like, well, well. magic bullet. Well, oh, God, literally yeah, a magic it. bullet. I didn't even clock that. <laughs> oh, I did. I really love the bit where, you know, Angus Sampson gets dragged out of the room by an unseen force. And then the exact same thing happens to Jason Clark about 30 seconds later as wanted him to go like, oh no, me too. And sort of like, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's the same exact sort of trick of just pulling him away. Because they, they don't really play it for laughs. They don't really make it silly enough if that's what you're going to do. They don't make it, no. they don't make it yeah. the kind of ghost train, crazy zany thing, which probably would have been preferable. Just like, it had no personality. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There's no, there's nothing to it. Which is a shame, because I like Daybreakers. I like Daybreakers. I liked, yeah, Predestination. I like Jigsaw. I like <laughs> Undead, to some extent. I don't know what this was. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just that this, this kind of horror is, is not in their wheelhouse, if they can't... Maybe they just didn't find anything to latch onto. Because Daybreakers, like, super stylized. It was all that whole, like, sort of Mad Men, but with vampire <laughs> look to yeah. it. Have there been any positive reviews of this? I do don't I've so. not seen any. I mean, I've seen yeah. people tweet things. Like, I saw somebody tweet that Helen Mirren was majestic in this, and I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> there were like some uh, when I went to see it at the cinema. There were some like good crowd responses to a couple of the scares. Um, a lot of people were freaked out by the little boy having the bag on his head. There's a lot of like, "Oh no, what's he doing? What's he got the bag on his head?" The creepy roller skate was laughing. That was terrible. So. Yeah. And they like just set it up going. Oh, look at this brochure. We now make roller skates. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it happen twice yeah. as well? Doesn't some, there's, there's at least yeah. two things going <laughs> across the floor. Like, what's that? I was straight up out of The Conjuring oh. 2 that. It was just like, oh, this is reminding me of that other film that I oh. didn't like that much. But, but you haven't had the good grace to have Patrick Wilson come in and sing Elvis in the middle, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what we had instead. Just that's the thing you can kind of like forgive certain films because they'll have a sense of humor or do something, you know, that's just yeah. silly. Mm. This one didn't have any sense of humor about itself. I feel like they wanted to take on like uh, a serious subject, so American Civil War, the history of like uh, violence and in, in America and whatever. So maybe they couldn't go with that, but maybe sh- they should have just. Yeah. Left it. Like an, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's our rings of 2018. Maybe like that was our quarter one shit yeah. horror film. 
Yeah, I think at least Insidious had some had some fun scares and Lynch yeah. Eight, whereas this just had nothing. I mean, it sort of did feel sometimes like they should have cast Lynch Eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, she would have been really good. Well, she probably wouldn't have been because how could anyone be good in this film? This film was not a thing to be good in. Ah. Oh. <laughs> she has been good in a lot of rubbish, I guess. <laughs> I need a I need a segue, but um from one very rubbish film to one very good film. Um this episode we had Abattoir programmer Nia Edwards Behe um come join us to talk about the whaling. Um you're going to notice a slight difference in sound quality because we recorded this a week ago when I had a terrible cold and could barely breathe so please excuse that and you're also going to notice that there's no Jonathan because we can't manage to sync up our lives at the moment (laughs) but we've recorded it and Nia is really awesome and has a lot to say about both the whaling and about programming for a horror festival and the state of horror and um, yeah she's really interesting so here we go How did you get into horror? Uh, how I got into horror is kind of quite a, quite a clean cut story. You know how a lot of people have those kind of like, oh, I snuck downstairs and I stole my parents' VHSs of something disgusting and like when I was five or whatever. I, I was like so well behaved. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's got an 18 certificate on it. I better not watch that until I'm 18. Um, so I guess in some ways I came to horror quite late, but I was always quite nerdy. So I was always into like, nerdy tv stuff like star trek Mm -hmm. and buffy and the x-files and like roswell and all this kind of stuff (laughs) more into the sci-fi kind of end of things i guess when i was younger so i i i kind of think of things like buffy and the x-files as like my gateway i suppose into horror into kind of easing me in a little bit maybe but because i've I suppose through that maybe developed an interest in film and tv i mean by now it's mostly just film to be honest but it was tv was the intense nerdery of my of my teenage years I think and so when things like I distinctly remember when the exorcist uh, was sort of suddenly re-emerged and was was totally acceptable for everyone to watch now um and it was on channel four is I I very you know I asked my mum and dad I was like oh you know I, I really want to watch this film because it's obviously really important and this thing's happened and it's finally seen the light of day again officially mm. and all that kind of stuff and so we recorded it off the telly and then I watched it during the daytime with my mum and dad, <laughs> just to make sure, you know, it was all good. So I had this kind of very gentle introduction to horror, even though it, The Exorcist was one of those first sort of key horror films I watched, I guess. But then when I went to university and I did, um, I started film studies in 2006 as an undergrad here in Aberystwyth, where I am now based. Um, that was the same year that Abattoir actually started. So I think the combination of starting to sort of look at film in a bit more depth than I had been and getting the chance to attend at the time it was a three-day festival and seeing sort of certain key films on the big screen this just kind of melting pot just went "Ooh, horror is cool isn't it I quite like this (laughs) and just from there it just kind of went all right that's what that's what we're into now Uh, I haven't looked back I guess (laughs) yeah so uh when you're uh looking for stuff Mm. for the festival what are kind of your key things that you look for what when you're trying to come up, like show a new audience some horror, it's a hard one actually because often I, I've in more recent years anyway, I kind of have this sort of inner turmoil sometimes because a lot of the stuff that maybe is the it, it, the kind of like the, the the big hyped titles maybe or the things that people are like oh I really want to see that one I might get a chance to see it 
early because I've got a screener or whatever. And I'll watch it and I'll go, oh, God, I hate it. And uh, <laughs> and then you have this, yeah, yeah we all know. Uh, and, and then I have this dilemma sometimes where I kind of go, I mean, well, people want to see it, right? So you obviously you want to, if you've got the privilege of being able to program a festival for people, you want to show them what they want to see. But at the same time, you want to be kind of true to yourself as well. And because we're quite a small, you know, we're, we're well, we're, technically we're a very small festival really in terms of our capacity and everything. So, you know, we do stand there in front of each film and introduce it and go, this is why we think you should see this film. So yeah. it's quite important to us that they are films that we, because it's Gaz, who's festival director, we both program, and it's so important to us that we can actually genuinely stand in front of a film and go, we think you should see this. Even if everyone goes, that was rubbish, what's wrong with you? <laughs> They'll know that we genuinely think that this film has got something to it. We very rarely sort of blind book things. Uh, in some instances, we do like we did with The Witch. We hadn't seen that beforehand, but come on, it was The Witch. You know, every, you know. Yeah. we were like, well, we want to see it. So and if this is the only way we can, there we go, we'll book it. Um, what else did we do? Like we had a few things like that recently. But for example, this year, Better Watch Out. Gaz had seen it, said it was great, very programmable. Let's program it. It was like, yeah, sure, fine. Uh, I really didn't like it. Uh, so I saw it at my own festival kind of thing. And I really, really didn't get on with it at all. I only kind of watched half of it. To be, I got, you know, I got enough of it to go, I'm just not going to enjoy this. I'm going to go do something else. Uh, rather yeah. than sit there kind of getting more and more annoyed about it. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking to myself, I probably still would have said, yeah, sure, let's program it. Because I kind of feel like I've developed a way of going, I know when it's me. <laughs> yeah, going, oh, It's just me. Other people are going to really like this. Um, and that's quite important. So I, d I don't know that there's anything in particular that we kind of look out for. I mean, you know, we look for something that's a bit different, obviously decent level of quality. But if there's something to a film like this year, one of my <laughs> one of my standout films from the festival this year was a very small Japanese film called Vampire Clay, which really shouldn't work. Like it's it's there's something about it that I really, really got on with. And it's kind of got this slightly grimy 90s vibe to it it's literally it's set in an art school and it's about clay that's kind of demonic and comes to life into these little clay creatures and like kills these art school kids in the middle of a forest because it's a tiny art school um it, it's it is as silly as that sounds but there's just something really good about it to me and i convinced gaz that we should program it because he was he enjoyed it as well but he wasn't quite as like you know convinced that it was people are going to really get on with it but it was brilliant because you get these moments then when you show it. Some people go, yeah, that was a bit odd. But then you'll get people going, I love that. That was the best thing I saw at the festival. Or maybe not the best, but my yeah. favourite thing I saw at the festival, you know. Yeah. And it's re it's so satisfying because it's such a like privilege to have people. They'll buy tickets. They'll book their holiday from work before you've even vaguely alluded to what's going to be on that particular year of the festival. So it's a real sort of responsibility i think to know that you're you need to put something good on you need to put six days worth of something good on so when you do take chances on things it's so it's such a relief in some ways and very satisfying to then get people go i really liked that on maybe not even liked it sometimes it's just i really appreciated getting the chance to see something really different yeah and i think that's quite important actually it's not just about everything that's like super glossy high quality Sometimes it is about watching something a bit different or mm. something unusual. That's what I like, anyway. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We were speaking to uh, uh, we spoke to other programmers about what you decide will open and close mm. your festival and whether to leave the audience on a high with yeah. your closing film. Is that 
kind of how you work? Uh, yeah, we've learned from a couple of instances where we haven't, where we've kind of programmed something a bit different and then gone, yeah, we should close on usually a comedy, to be honest, because <laughs> it just, it kind of works better. We did actually close the festival with The Wailing a few years back. That yeah, wow. that was because of how long it is. <laughs> it wouldn't fit anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, generally speaking, we like this year we had Top Knot Detective closing the festival just because we went, uh, it's, it's just got to be that one. You know, it's not, I mean, that's not even a horror film, but we're very, yeah, very broad <laughs> to say the <laughs> least with how we define <laughs> horror. Um, but I think that's one of the nice things, actually, because that's why I, I think one of the reasons I really do like horror as a genre is that to me, it's super, super broad. And you can you cannot you can shoehorn anything into horror almost if you're trying hard enough. I think. Yeah, definitely. It's true. Um, let's, <laughs> so speak. Sorry, sorry go on. Guys. I think we're about to do the exact same segue. <laughs> we were. We were. <laughs> so, um, speaking of the whaling, uh, let's talk about that because you've chosen that as your film to, to talk about this this episode. Why did you choose that? Because I'm a sadist and really wanted you to sit through two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I love it. I think from the past few years, it's just really stood out as a film that blew me away. I mean, that's an example of one I watched at home on my laptop, which unfortunately is how I watch a lot of these films, even though my ideal way of watching film is in the damn cinema. Yeah. And I still haven't seen it like the whole way through on a big screen, which destroys me inside a little bit. I just think it's genuinely brilliant. I think partially because of how long it is. Yeah, to, I'm the kind of person is, you know, something's like 110 minutes, I start to get a little bit antsy about whether I'm going <laughs> to sit through the whole thing, you know, or happily sit through the whole thing, I should say. So when this came along and I was like, two, two hours, what? You know, like, hang on. But it flew by. I, I just have this distinct memory of watching it and just going, whoa, what is this? This is brilliant. Um, yeah. Which kind of doesn't happen that often, I guess. Not to the level it did with this anyway. And it's still one that I'm just like, you have to see The Wailing. You have to see The Wailing. It's brilliant. So I had the same experience because I saw it at Cannes Film mm. Festival. And it's obviously the running time. You have to fit that in, in between yeah. doing work and trying to watch all the films that you're supposed to be writing about. <laughs> and, yeah, I took kind of like I had a space to watch it. I was like, okay, it's two hours. And, yeah, it flew by for me as well. Mm. And I just think there is that outstanding scene in mm -hmm. it where with the uh, – well, we were discussing this. Is it an exorcism? Well, I think you can describe it as an exorcism because that's kind of its function, I suppose, yeah. as a scene, isn't mm. it? But I guess it's a shamanistic ritual yes. of yeah. some description. I'm not sure whether there is, it is a specific thing or not. I don't really know that. But yeah, that scene is... Oh, it's so good. Scene. It's so... Crazy. That's the one scene, the one scene I made sure that I went in when we screened at Abattoir. I was like, I am going to go in and watch that bit on the bloody big screen with the cinema sound. Thank you very much. Yeah. Because I'm like, I really want that well. intensity. Yeah, absolutely. Just that vibe. You kind of get that intensity going on. It's brilliant. Because it was shot from six different camera angles yeah. and all of... Yeah. I mean, what, what went into it to make it like that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think we should talk about the plot briefly before we get yeah. into more detail but also i'm going to call both of you out because both of you just said it's two hours it's 156 minutes that is over two and a half hours <laughs> so, stop this two hour lie <laughs> still bitter still bitter but uh, yeah so it's um oh my pronunciation is going to be terrible here but it's directed by <laughs> hong jin na and also written by him as well and it's the story of a small village where some horrible murders happen and the police are trying to investigate and 
all the evidence suggests that an outsider, a Japanese man, might be behind it and doing something sinister to people. But then things get a lot more ambiguous, I think. Is that fair? There's so much that goes on in the film, actually, that you'd end up with a much longer summary if you kind of tried going into too much detail of all the stuff that happens in the film. And I think that that kind of (laughs) covers it quite nicely. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much going on and so many characters. Mm. And because of the way the final act plays out, I think you're never entirely sure just what (laughs) has happened. Yeah, I I was, I I had a quick look at like, because I tried to rewatch it and then the the copy I bought, the DVD copy... The quote at the start isn't subtitled for some reason, Um, but I vaguely remember it's something biblical, right? And so I was looking, I was having a quick look online and found some random like message board post of people going, what happens at the end? (laughs) Um, And there were all these brilliant theories that kind of hadn't occurred to me as kind of fully formed thoughts, but they'd kind of been really spelt out as to like who this person is or what that person represents and all that kind of stuff. And it's great because I love it when a film is vague enough, but also suggestive enough to kind of really do that. And but really do it in a way that you still can't really definitively say that that's what the film's doing, even if that's what you took from it. And I think it's really effective at doing that. And I think just the blend of genres that's in it, um, because it does have that kind of very... uh, korean police procedural thing going on in mm-hmm. it while at the same time having all this other supernatural gross horror <laughs> stuff happening at the same time it's just so well it's sort of very natural the way it kind of all sits together i think in it. and the young girl in it um oh. is it kim Hwan he uh yeah. she plays the possessed daughter and oh my god the stuff that she has to go through she's incredible yeah. i found it really kind of upsetting to watch like what mm. she was going through but I think he just builds this like air of frenzy yeah, so definitely. well till yes. just like it's it almost ear splitting. I think that's what it like. I know two and a half hours. Okay. <laughs> but genuinely, I was just like, I was so in, into it. Mm. I just think it's so beautifully shot as well. Like it's so yeah. gorgeous, yeah. all of it. Like obviously that exorcism mm. scene, but just everything. Like there's constantly these landscape shots where just it just looks beautiful. Yeah. It's got such it's got such a good sense of place. I mm. think that kind of very rural Korean setting. I think when if you if you watch like Korean thrillers, they're often very sort of urban. Yeah. I think. Um. So to have this quite rural, well, very rural setting, I suppose, is just it, it's it's got. It, I don't know. It kind of makes it it makes it feel more isolated. Everything that's happening, and because it is this small village, and but like you say, you've got these quite imposing kind of landscapes around them as well. And of course, you get you get one section where they kind of do go into that landscape mm-hmm. a bit more outside of the village. And you're right. You just get these beautiful shots of sort of slightly mist covered mountains, and then like torrential rain yeah. everywhere else. It's oh, I love that. We have I have an ongoing gag that whenever we watch anything Korean in the, in my house we kind of go is it raining oh there you go it's raining because <laughs> it, it's just, and it works so well like every time it's like you can't you can't deny that it it, it does look good when when it's sort of peeing it down. One of the uh, references that uh, came up when I was uh, watching it was uh, Memories of Murder. It kind of reminded me of that with the bumbling cop and whatever. I haven't seen Memories of Murder. Should I? How how how? similar well they didn't have anything supernatural right it's kind of a based on a true story thing yeah i've not seen memories of murder either that's like that's one of those films because i've quite recently gotten like obsessed with anything korean let's be real um and that's one where i'm like why haven't i watched that yet why why haven't i just 
gone right stop everything and just like catch up on the like key things that you've not seen yet and i haven't seen that one yet but i have seen um one of the director's previous films uh the Wailing's director uh, which is the chaser yeah and that's that oh, that's that's got that's grim but again it's got that sense of humor that the Wailing has yeah which really is quite is kind of discomforting but also quite a relief at times as well but that's got that same kind of cop-like character in it that's kind of just kind of trying to bumble around to save the day i don't know if that's some kind of like archetype character or something that's going on there yeah it definitely is it's just yeah having a poke at the authorities mm. but at the same time i mean in in the whaling he is a small town cop who's suddenly being asked to deal with oh, a yeah. spate of really horrific yeah. murders and possibly su- mm. something supernatural so i feel like um He's yeah. he's allowed to be out of his depth a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's established he's established so well, I think, at the start because you get the kind of his reaction. There's the one scene where he goes to the the one of the possessed or mad people's house, and he deals really bad. Like his like his police captain says, uh, "You go deal with her," and then he like goes up to this like totally frenzied woman tries to and then goes nope and then basically tells his sergeant to go do it and st- there's stuff like that quite early on that establishes him as kind of a very normal kind of out of his death yeah. guy and his relationship with his daughter and his family is set up really nicely so that when things do start to kind of start turning and start going wrong and getting personal for him that kind of turn in how he deals with things or gets more hands-on with things is just I think really nicely played out you get that sense that he's been driven to this kind of extremity yeah. almost and I, I think it's really just I guess that's why you need that kind of duration of the film because it plays out so nicely that it takes its time to kind of set everything up really well yeah definitely and I think yeah by the end you're right there with him because you have no idea yeah. what he should do either like that very final yeah. bit where he's kind of got somebody on the phone telling him one thing and somebody in front of him mm. telling him something else and it's like if you make the wrong call here like your family will die <laughs> but you, there's just yeah I don't yeah. I don't know I don't know what you should do I don't know who's the baddie at this point because yeah. <laughs> yeah I was reading a lot yeah. of um, explanations of the film and all the theories mm. about who's evil at what point and when the devil may or may yeah. not be in each person and I was like okay yeah. so there, there are some ways to interpret this differently <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there really are. And I, I think I really like uh, Chan Wu He, who's the actress who plays uh, the mysterious woman who keeps popping up. Um, I, I just there's something brilliant about her performance. It's so like there's not. It doesn't look like there's much to it. You know, it's a very still kind mm. of performance, but it works so well to kind of underline that uncertainty because you really are like, well. Who is she? Like, what is? She, why is she there? Why is she just being really cryptic about absolutely everything? And like, why doesn't she just crack a tiny smile to suggest that maybe she's the good guy? Kind of things, that kind of thing. It's, it's. I, I love it, and I think there's that she's brilliantly cast. I think she's she's absolutely brilliant in it. It's just icy the whole way through. I think that like they're all really well cast in their roles. Like even though the um ah mm. uh, so. On Netflix, he never seems to be credited with a name, mm. The Shaman, but I think he does have one uh, on the ITV. I think it's yes. Ilguang. Yeah, I think Ilguang. Netflix's subtitles just pieced out on that. It's like, nah, <laughs> we don't. Even, like, yeah. even when the phone rings and it just comes up with, like, Shaman, you're like, okay, well, at least... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's really, like, interesting because he just, there's something off about him I think even when he sort of turns up and he's meant to be the good yeah. guy and he's just kind of like good looking but in a slightly untrustworthy way yeah. where you're like I don't yeah. know if I trust you I don't know what you're up to yeah 
Yeah, there's something about that that outfit, that kind of slightly uh, Lord Samurai <laughs> like Polonek thing that he's got going on. That it's just like, hang on, he's a little bit on edge about yeah. this guy. I like the um, sort of clash of of cultures or mythologies or ideologies, I guess, because you've yeah. got a priest, you've got this shaman. Um, mm. you've got the mysterious woman not quite sure what he's up to and mm. yeah and you never know quite what to, to believe or I don't know I really like that I think that you've got that and then the whole the fact that the the stranger is mm. a Japanese man as well I think that just you've got so many layers of like how you could maybe interpret the film or what you could read into how the film plays out I think it's it's like it's one of those that's why I love watching films from like any other country than like the US or the UK is you watch them and you just go, there's definitely stuff yes. I don't get in this just because of where I'm from or mm. what I know or don't know, rather. Um, and I love that about it. And something actually I really love about particularly, um, or I think particularly East Asian films, is that you get films like this. You don't waste time going, oh, no, it can't be a ghost or a possession or a did that. Oh, no, that's not real. Is They just go, no, get the shaman, right? <laughs> yeah. Just go get him. Soy out. <laughs> there's just, there's no messing around with that. And I really, really like that because it is just such a more ingrained kind of thing where you just go well it could be the case so just in case yeah yeah go, go get that guy i really really like that yeah i guess that's um just become a cliche of kind of western horrors that you have to spend the, at least the first sort mm. of third of the film guy oh i'm sure it's nothing and it's just he's so impatient yeah. now he's like no come on like there is a demon sort it out yeah 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 <laughs> We've seen the poster of the film. We know there's a demon or something. Right? We've seen the trailer. I feel like I'm like compiling a mental list of tropes that I really enjoy in that kind of film, though. Like when uh, a character kind of Google's a ritual and then is really surprised that it doesn't work out when <laughs> they've just like downloaded it off yeah. some dodgy internet site. That's my favourite thing. I love that. Or like um, when they call in an expert, an, an exorcist or a priest or whatever, and mm. they just come in and then they immediately just yeah. like, nope, sorry, can't help you. This is above my pay grade. Can't do it. That, I love that. <laughs> I just want to be like, sorry, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Enjoy your haunted house. Yeah. But yeah, I do I do feel like um, if I were more versed in Korean mythology, then maybe I would have picked up some other stuff. But yeah, that idea that, that there's more yeah. going on here than, than I know. I like the fact that you've got all like, the elements of body horror very, very subtly in, like in the scene with the mm. guy in the hospital when he kind of yeah goes, goes off and then the same bit in the to the daughter in the sort of the, the exorcism or the ritual scene yeah it's like gross gross bubbling skin yeah uh, well it's really yeah. icky mm. icky kind of stuff but i like that it's not overdone you know it's kind of just it's just that it's just enough that you just kind of go Ugh. although the bit where the shaman runs into the mysterious woman and she basically just makes him oh, vomit God. up everything he's ever eaten <laughs> in his life like okay that guy's face is just exploding yeah <laughs> There's I think that so might be one of my favourite bits, yeah. <laughs> I guess um, going back to Abattoir as well, so mm. how long have you been programming for them? Do you know what? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 2006 is when it started, right? And because like, I attended and because obviously I am local to the festival and go to the cinema a lot, or what I used to, I work there now, so I suppose technically I still do. I obviously got to know Gaz because he's cinema manager. And as the festival was kind of starting to grow and grow, it was like... Mm, if you need any help let me know and it's I'm very very lucky I'm so fortunate to just have been I guess just right place right time to have become involved in it um and I think it must have been like 2009-ish that I started to sort of just lend a hand so one of the first things I was doing was watching screeners just to sort of help get through the piles of then DVDs that we'd get sent so I'm just thinking about like uh how 
kind of trends in horror movies have come and gone since mm. then because like 2000 when was the first paranormal activity was that like 2007 8 something Seven, like that because then because like this the torture porny wave sort of ended mm. late 2000s didn't it? and then we got into paranormal yeah. stuff i guess i want to ask you like what kind of trends you've seen over the last couple of years it just in kind of things that have been submitted to the festival and mm. if you um what you're anticipating for the near future Ooh, what am I anticipating? That's a question. Um, <laughs> I know. Predict the future of horror, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, it will be great. No. Um, so I, I mean, I guess from when I've been involved with it, I guess it's fairly obvious. But it's found footage was such a big thing, particularly when you're getting submissions, yeah. because it is relatively cheap and relatively easy to go. I'll make a found footage film, uh, and inevitably you get them, and you go, Oh, great! <laughs> I'm just gonna through this now am I and you watch it and you go oh you know but the thing is you do we've had some brilliant ones like um Borderlands which was sort of semi-found footage which we actually had someone who had to couldn't deal with the end of Borderlands because of how claustrophobic it was and it was someone who really did suffer from claustrophobia they left and they were like it's brilliant I just couldn't cope (laughs) um and I think that's an effective use of kind of found elements of film or whatever but generally speaking fan footage is not something i enjoy in the slightest bit um we i don't know we get you get that kind of uh, not hor- uh, horror comedy is a very broad term to use but you do get a lot of that kind of thing or attempts at co- and i'm not the best judge of that because i don't think i have enough of a sense of humor to quite <laughs> enjoy them all um like de- deathgasm a few years ago like loads of people loved that, and I can remember sitting in a screening room, no, in a in a cinema rather, watching it during a festival, and just kind of going, uh, "I don't, I don't get it." Everyone else around me is just like having a whale of a time watching it, laughing. Yeah, this is brilliant, and I'm just sat there, just going, "Oh, why is it? I don't understand. Like, it's not funny. It's not making me laugh. Why?" And I don't know. I think it particularly again when you get kind of. In, oh, I don't, no, when I say independent films, it sounds like I'm being like really dismissive and that's not what I mean. But when you do get sort of maybe inexperienced filmmakers, you know, comedy is something that's going to be quite difficult to pull yeah. off. Mm. But again, you know, you get ones that stand out and you go, oh, no, actually, brilliant. I've been, I've been very pleasantly surprised. Whereas you then have also sat through a lot where you just go, I am not even not even cracking a smile. You know, <laughs> you just got to go, oh, is it just me? Um but I get that feeling quite a lot, though, is that I often and it it makes me sound like some kind of like God awful hipster or something. But it makes me kind of go, oh, do I just not like the same things that other people like <laughs> all the time? Because there's been quite a few instances of things like like big films that are obviously like good. You know, I don't sort of watch them and go, oh, this is terrible. Um, I just don't particularly get on with them themselves. Things like It Follows, I didn't like that much. Um, yeah, like I just, there's sort of lots of instances recently that it comes to a point sometimes where I kind of have moments of going, do I even like horror? <laughs> like, is it like, it, obviously I do, <laughs> but, but like, I think. Um, but for example, last year was an interesting one. All of my favourite films from last year weren't necessarily strictly speaking horror mm. films. And I don't know whether... and. I'm not going to utter the, uh, the the made-up non-horror genres that people make up for horror. <laughs> we um, don't talk about that. <laughs> no. we, we all know. Um, the, but I do wonder whether that is sort of where, where 
you know, I mean, genre is malleable and flexible anyway. That's how it works. But I do wonder whether it's increasingly that way, actually, whether it is that melding of kind of either genres with other genres or um, you just kind of have elements of a genre or it's like a film I really liked a couple of years ago or a year ago. I can't remember. Um, not one that we programmed in the end was uh, something called uh, what was uh, Women Who Kill which is essentially a drama about it's it's sort of yeah it's it's sort of a comedy drama i guess but it's about um this former lesbian couple who still live together and run a true crime podcast together and they interview female serial killers so it's more about their lives than it is anything else and then the one of the exes is suspicious of the other one's new girlfriend who they're like oh no i think they're a serial killer but that's not really like the focus of it but I loved that film, and I, I was like, I'd program it. <laughs> but then you kind of think, yeah, but what's the person who's bought a ticket to a horror festival yeah. going thing when they sit through it and go, that's not a horror film, though, is it? But I do wonder whether that's going to really change how we think about things, particularly when you do increasingly get people going on about, oh, well, you know, is this, is this not really a horror film, the future of horror, even though it is actually horror? Yeah. Just word, the word loses it's... all meaning. <laughs> <laughs> it does a little bit, doesn't it, <laughs> I, I, I think that's why I really enjoy it's it when you get, a, um, even if it's sort of like a two and a half, three star horror movie, but it's something that's just unapologetically mm. a horror movie. And I'm like, mm. thanks. Mm. Thank you for try- not trying yeah. to pretend that you're just... a drama or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just go full genre and that'll be, that'll be fine. Yeah. Well, there was a New York Times article yes. recently. Yeah. That said, why are we ashamed to call Get Out and something else? Yeah. Water. I'm not ashamed. What? What? Also, yeah, we had this conversation about Get Out a year ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, keep up. <laughs> I hope Get Out gets a lot of recognition at awards time. Yeah, me too. I hope so. It's almost like it came out so long ago that, and it was so good that people kind of think, oh, well, it must have had its recognition by now. Yeah, I do wonder. Ah, fingers crossed. It's good, though. Yeah. I haven't seen Shape of Water yet, though, so I'm not even... Is, is it? Is it sort of... Other than it being a creature thing, is it quite um, I mean, it's a love it? story. I know everyone said that yeah. about Crimson Peak, but Crimson Peak was also a horror <laughs> movie, I think. The Shape of yes. Water... Yeah. I'd... See, <laughs> I'm fighting myself because I <laughs> don't want to say it's not a horror movie, but I'm not sure it is a horror <laughs> movie, but it is great. That's fair. I suppose it's the kind of thing that because it's got like a creature or a monster in it, you kind of go, well, it's a horror film. It's like we we fought tooth and nail and didn't get anywhere to try and program uh, the new Godzilla mm. film a couple of years ago now. And it was barely out in Japan. So before it had UK distribution or anything like that, we were just <laughs> we were being asked to pay silly money for it. And we, we, we were silly enough to go, yeah, all right. then, <laughs> And they still wouldn't give it to us. So we were like, fine. Um, but that's the kind of thing where you go. It's a horror movie because it's got a great big monster stomping on stuff. It's not a horror film because it's like making you really scared for your life kind of thing. Although a monster stomping on you would be. But you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of a different yeah. kind of thing, a different kind of feel to it. But we would still have programmed that because it's got a giant monster. So, so we, we can't add Colossal. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I, actually, I that's that a one. really good comparison okay. because I think that there is a element of um violence and nastiness in the shape of water that comes from another character that is ah. monstrous in its own way yeah. and that maybe you could count it for that mm. yeah mm. i mean we'll claim it because jonathan's not here but i would say, you know when i say his yeah. all films are horror films especially the horror films mantra at this point 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, but I do feel that the the thrust of The Shape of Water primarily is is it's a love story. It's a love mm-hmm. story about cinema and monsters yeah. and just people yeah. who feel yeah. like they're outsiders. So, do you have guests like the horror people coming to your festival? And like, who's the best person that you okay. encounter? So, so we all, usually are like main guest of honor or whatever is uh like a someone to do with like whatever classics we're showing that year so we've had loads of really cool guests actually which is always blows my mind that they come all the way to Aberystwyth um but we've had in the past we've had uh Herschel Gordon Lewis was a guest we've had uh Gary Sherman we've had Robin Hardy came twice we've had Fabio Fritzi has come to our festival three times because he asked to come back we were like uh, of course you can why would we say no to that we've had uh Catriona McCall was a guest we've had um Richard Johnson was a guest we had Richard Johnson and Fabio Fritzi and I believe it was the first time they'd ever actually met which was pretty cool so we had screening of zombie flesh eaters and they were like oh my god it's amazing and it was really really cool um so we've had Luigi Cozzi at the front we've we really like Italian horror at Abattoir. <laughs> this is something that's quite evident from our guests, maybe. Uh, we've had Ian McCulloch <laughs> and Luigi Cozzi last year. We had uh, Sergio Martino, which was awesome, and Lamberta Bava as well. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's kind of like the guests of honour. We tend to sort of, not theme, what's the word I'm looking for? Tend to be drawn from whatever classics we're kind of celebrating. But then usually then we have one or two Q&As and guests with the with the newer films as well. We were very lucky in that we had the creators of Danger 5, the TV series, come over. And they're from Australia. Probably one of the most memorable experiences was we did a marathon of the first series of Danger 5. This is how broad we are. Danger 5 is not horror at all. Um, It's just genre, mashup, parody, goodness. So we had a marathon of the first series uh, with a live commentary from David Ashby and Dario Russo on stage, uh, getting increasingly drunk as they did it. So we provided a bottle of our festival ale each for per episode. So that was six bottles. Yeah, six. Six bottles of ale each. For, except that they went, oh, they were like, oh, no, no, no. We're, we're going we're gonna to have some fun with this. They'd been to the <laughs> shops and they came on with like these two great big, you know, like bags for life filled with stuff. And the, one of the things in Danger 5 is that when characters die, they tell, they they give a cocktail recipe because that's, that's what happens just before they die. Um so per episode, they would make a disgusting cocktail out of whatever cheap alcohol they'd found and then like just bits of food and stuff. And then basically, whoever from our audience would then go down and drink the cocktail with them. No, not with them. They would not drink it. Why would they do that? Um, would then like they'd get to win some like merch like, and people would do it. There was one where it was like they had like, you know, like microwavable rice pouches in some like cider and some kind of spirit mix and someone was like yeah i'll have that (laughs) and gaz and i were just sat in the back of the cinema just going i think this is my proudest proudest (laughs) moment of my life actually (laughs) this is disgusting and wonderful all at once that sounds awesome so uh nia do you have anything to plug or where can people find you and follow you online we don't well we don't have dates confirmed for this year, but we happen every year in November. Uh, if you visit abattoir.co.uk, it is a pun on Aberystwyth and an abattoir. Aha, we're very funny people. It's A-B-E-R-T-O-I-R. Just. Uh, but we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, so if you follow our social media, if it is something that interests you, you get all of the 
nice info about when we take place. We have a penciled in date, which is why I'm being found, but it's mid November ish. Um, and we six day festival. We're in the Aberystwyth Arts Centre. We actually do a mix of things. We do primarily film. We do classics and new films, but we also have things like a theatre show. We'll often have music of some description. We have a pop quiz, Q and A's, all that lovely goodness that you want from a festival. Hopefully, that's 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 all I really have to plug. That's related. I think the other stuff is that you can find me writing on WalkedPerspective.com as well. <laughs> Okay, so that's it for another episode of Cast and Runes. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, it, it would be amazing if you could give us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. I don't know if you can review on SoundCloud, but you definitely can on iTunes, so that'd be amazing. Uh, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Runescasting. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>